0: Welcome back to the Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode is brought to you by my book that I would be so honored for y'all to pre-order or purchase. Depending upon when you're listening to this, it comes out Christmas Eve, uh, December twenty fourth, two thousand nineteen. It's called the Align Method, and it is uh, a compilation of all that I've gathered on this podcast over the last five years working with clients over the last sixteen years. Essentially, is a user's manual on how to effectively inhabit your body in daily life. How do we integrate the principles that we've learned from martial arts or weightlifting or yoga into who we are as opposed to a thing that we do. Uh, It also gets into the way that sound affects our physiology, how we can leverage that as a tool, sight, touch, body language, all the things and uh, just been so humbled and uh, just so greatly appreciate y'all's support. The book, Writing Process, has been probably one of the most developmental experiences of my life. And I'm so greatly excited, appreciative, all those things uh, to get to share that with you. So um, thanks again for grabbing it. The Align Method book. Today's beautiful conversation was with my friend, Mr. Ben Greenfield. Ben is literally one of the smartest humans in the world around. Uh, it's a exercise, physiology, fitness in general, biohacking, which is kind of a, a strange word, but uh, anything that you would put into the category of a biohack in quotations, uh, Ben knows a lot about it. Uh, in this conversation, we go beyond that and we go into some more intimate uh, parts of Ben's life and family and uh, it's really a beautiful conversation, so I greatly appreciate y'all's Tagging along and tuning in. I hope you love it. Uh, Thanks for checking out the website, alignpodcast.com, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com. On there, you can find the Align Method book. Um, And you can also start the free five-day movement challenge. Start getting some better movement in your daily life. Today's beautiful episode is brought to us by Organifi. Organifi are absolutely a friend of mine, a friend of the podcast, and uh, I trust that company to deliver the highest quality of supplements. Everything that they are sourcing in their blends is the best of the best and uh, I'm holding my hands. The turmeric and reishi infused gold blend. It is USDA organic, it's gluten free, it is vegan, soy free. Um, This stuff is delicious. It's really beautiful to pour some of this into like a tea or a smoothie to add some delicious flavor and also a lot of anti-inflammatory compounds that can help sort out them joints of yours the back. They have a nighttime body soothing herbal tea, a superfood hot chocolate packed with nature's most calming herbs. That's this stuff. Recommended. Really good. Uh, Their protein powders are delicious and uh, they're great. Uh, So you can get yourself 15% off of your purchases with Organifi by going to Organifi.com. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And then type in a line at checkout and you'll get 15% 15% off of your purchase. All right, here we go. Back to the show with legendary Mr. Ben Greenfield. Thanks so much for tuning in. Pow. Align Podcast. Found in the course of this podcast is my own dispensability. So how's your levels over there, Benjamin? Checky check, Mike. Checky one, two, three. Wow. Welcome to Good
1: Morning LA <laughs> with me, listen. Ben Greenfield. Crazy profan- and my weatherman Aaron Alexander. Crazy profan- He's gonna tell us about all the sports scores last night from the latest high school basketball games. Along with what kind of thunderstorms to expect this afternoon. Yeah. What's that? I can clap us in. Yeah.
0: That was, that was, a, that was a, like a bitch that was kind Bam! of a shitty clap. Clapping.
1: Tony Robbins That's clap. clap. <laughs> what Dude. kind of
0: tea are we drinking? What is this? This is some green tea from you probably know the guy. Do you know T-Dragon, Ryan run, run Tea garden I call him T-Dragon. That was incorrect. Green tea makes me nauseous. Oh, perfect. All yeah, right. this will be a great well, podcast. <laughs> Healer's tea, <laughs> dragon tea. I'm glad that we're, uh, we're starting off. What
1: makes this incredible. really good green tea?
0: Um, you know, I would like to learn more about green tea. I, that's, hmm. that's why I have you here is to ask you questions about things of that nature.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, the the primary most researched component. Of it is the EGCG, the epigallo, gimme catechins. I feel like you're making that up. like that. It's it, it's it's along. I was I was somewhat <laughs> close. It's it's epigallo catechin something. EGCG is far easier, right. however, and that's that's the the potent antioxidant. But this stuff also has goji berry, schizandra, which is amazing. That's a really good adaptogen. Yeah,
0: with the name of Chinese licorice root.
1: Shizandra also. I I was uh, having dinner with someone a couple weeks ago, and they informed me that one of the best things you could do for your sperm and your fertility is to regularly consume schizandra. Mmm. So... I suppose the opposite could be true as well. Probably the most potent contraceptive is to never take Shazandra. I feel
0: like that's going to be an ongoing thing. Like every six months to a year, there's a new, a new something that helps your. New something helps your sperm count. Yep. (laughs) Yep.
1: And great Salt Lake trace minerals. Wow, it's kind of like East Meast West. They got salt from Utah and green tea from Japan. Yeah, we got the whole thing. So, so
0: I'm going yeah. on, uh, also
1: known as honeymooners tea for those engaged in frequent sexual activity. That's why I brought it out, man. Wow. Yep. How cool. We
0: were just nude.
1: We were just we were just in Your heart, <laughs> your heart shaped cold pool plunge. That was, that was, um, you know, I, I suppose since we video recorded it yeah. that it's likely that folks listening in are going to somehow get their hands on that video that we did, yep. but we did a breathe-up before we got in the cold pool, and I'm glad we did that because a lot of people don't realize how much easier cold thermogenesis is after you've done that breathe-up. Yep. And, um, you know, you, you you were kind of the leader on that, but... Um, you know, is basically those 30 breaths, those 30 kind of like, and then the finish with the exhale. The cool thing is the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system, right? So you don't have that harsh mammalian dive reflex when you get in the cold pool and that sharp intake of breath. You know, when you get in, you feel as though you have this, this peace and calm. So you don't have that reaction to the cold. And then from a physiological standpoint, you get that nitric oxide release, which Correct. is why some people get a little bit lightheaded, you know, not only breathing off the CO2, but that opening up of all the blood vessels yeah. that
0: if you're not careful, um, can actually cause you to, to pass out. Yeah. And yeah. then with the nitric oxide release, the other thing that's interesting that is just doing something as simple as humming, mm-hmm. um, that's been shown, I think it's like 20 times increase the nitric oxide production in your mm-hmm. bloodstream. And then beyond that is just generally breathing through your nose yeah yeah which, which is cool
1: all, all this stuff stacks because at the same time that, that you're doing humming or chanting or, or singing or even gargling you activate the vagus nerve you yeah. increase your vagal nerve tone which further feeds into that parasympathetic activation so it's it's uh, it, it's almost as though you are inducing stress resilience before you get into something that is mildly stressful like cold
0: yeah it's amazing to me how many of these beneficial variables that we have access to that we just we kind of completely bypass throughout the day we kind of it's almost like like i think i personally feel like i'm almost can be addicted to the stress state Mm -hmm. and then we when we have those brief moments typically someone you know in this case it's like I usually start out making fun of it and, you know, being silly about it. And then afterwards, it's always like, wow, you know, I'm so glad that we did that. Yeah. The same could be said of sunlight,
1: right? I mean, like <laughs> yeah. the, the growing body of research on sunlight. Uh, I was looking at one study today on uh, insulin sensitivity and glucose regulation in response to sunlight and the uh, the shift in uh, what would be called metabolic flexibility or, or substrate utilization, meaning that. You would ideally want your cells to very efficiently shift from glucose utilization to fatty acid utilization uh, in the same way that you would want your your heart to be able to respond to cues from the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, right? That is the definition, really, of increased heart rate variability yeah. or good vagal nerve tone Is is the ability of the heart to respond in very precise manner to input from sympathetic and parasympathetic and how that, how that innervates the heart via the, via the pacemaker of the heart, the sinoatrial node. And in the same way, You want your cells to be able to shift very efficiently from glucose to fatty acid utilization, right? Um, A lot of people think you should just be in a state of ketosis, pure fatty acid utilization all the time, but that's not necessarily the case, right? You want to shift from carbohydrate to fat utilization depending on whether you need to to quickly burst or sprint or climb a flight of stairs to going back into fatty acid utilization when you're sitting at your desk, so to speak. Um, Sunlight, though, is a cue for increasing that metabolic flexibility. Mm. So you can, you can increase your, your ability to be able to utilize these different substrates if you're getting light exposure. Mm. And of course there are, there are tons of benefits that I'm sure people listening in have, have heard, you know, from the sun, from the, you know, vitamin D activation to the mild cellular resilience effect you get from the UVA and the UVB radiation, uh, to the nitric oxide, to the, you know, the activation of the, um, you know, this is the reason a lot of people use those infrared light panels, the cytochrome C oxidase and mitochondria. Like you shift that into greater production of ATP in response to sunlight. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, cold, breathing, sunlight,
1: being outside barefoot. I mean,
0: all this stuff just stacks. Yeah, it's all free. It's all simple. Most mm-hmm. of the stuff that's the most expensive, like like Carl Jung talked about, um, retrogressions are – going to be the most sustainable and the most cost effective way to, to be healthier, to be more mindful, to be all things. When we seek out new advanced technology, typically it's more expensive and, and more short lived. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in San Diego like two months ago and, you know, these, these
1: biohacking clinics are becoming more common. You know, they pop up and people, you know, put the, the cryotherapy and the sauna and the, the PEMF and, you know, all the fancy technologies, the, the negative ion structured water that you breathe and i was in san diego and this company reached out to me on instagram and they're like why don't you come over to our our clinic this morning and you can do the the pulsed electromagnetic field therapy you know and get the the schumann resonance from from the earth and uh do the cryo do the infrared and maybe we can get you in for a juve session where you're, where you're under the under the lights and I'm, I'm reading this and i'm like you know four blocks from the beach yeah exactly i'm like Actually, I'm going to walk in my bare feet to the beach under the sunlight, jump in the cold water, chock full of negative ions and minerals, get out and walk back to my my uh, uh, little condo I was staying in, and get all that for free yep. in a far more natural way. Not that biohacking technology should be dismissed, but those should be stacked on top of the natural living or, used when you don't have access to that stuff yeah. like whatever you're in Las Vegas you're going to be there for 3 days at a conference yeah go there with your grounding and earthing mat that you can sleep on and maybe a portable infrared light panel and you know maybe a little portable PEMF unit and you know use biohacking to simulate nature in an environment where you're not going to get exposed to much nature yeah. but you know when you when you get a chance to choose between nature or biohacking i mean nature is always
0: usually a more prudent choice. Well, I think it's the difference between a supplement and a whole food. You know, when you're biohacking some aspect of nature into some technology, it's like taking like pectin out of an apple or carotene or you know, you know it's like, lycopene
1: from a tomato. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, what we yeah. miss with that is the 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 equation that you jump your biology into when you jump into the ocean is so much more complex than most of the, the specific isolates that we'd take yeah, out from that yeah, plug it's, into it's, a wall.
1: It's the entourage effect, you know. Yeah, and of exactly. course that's most well known in, in the world of cannabis, right? We know that all the constituents of the hemp plant put together are more beneficial than like a synthetic C B D extract that you might take to help you sleep. The exception to that would be when you do need to take the bullet train, right? right we could yeah i, was you know, just, I, was just, I always get worried I, I just get exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. wait we weren't recording <laughs> shit
0: what a useless we, com- what a completely
1: <laughs> useless conversation we just had i hate to talk to people when we're not recording um the 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 exception to that though would be when you do want the bullet train you, yeah. know, like, um, you know, like I don't I guess I am going to just like start shamelessly plugging. But, yeah, you it. know, like if you look at something like the Juve light, right, like these infrared light panels that you can spend 10 minutes in front of and get the equivalent of the infrared light that you would be need to be out in the sun for two hours to get right and maybe risk excess uva radiation from the sun trying to get that big of a dose of infrared all at once well arguably the biohacking technology actually is a hack you're shortcutting your way to getting even more infrared than you might normally be able to get the same could be said of like the like the big powerful uh, you know, high milligauss potential PEMF tables, right? The ones that that uh, produce a very high amount of that frequency, like 7.8 hertz, that you'd get from the planet Earth, but that just concentrates it in a very high dose. So you're almost amplifying the anti-inflammatory effects of earthing or grounding, but in a in a faster manner. Right. So I have nothing against better living through science about you know using even more powerful versions of what we might be able to get from nature, but Return to that whole entourage effect, the idea of it being free, the idea of being more connected to the planet that we live upon, I still think that too many people put too much time into the biohacking technologies and not enough time into the into the nature technologies.
0: yeah, what about meditation? how's that played a role in in your your wellness? I don't meditate in
1: in the sense that I think a lot of people think of meditation that much um there are a few forms of meditation that i tend to do on a regular basis such as one called eco meditation designed by dawson church i like it because it combines breath work in this case about six count in and six count out with uh tapping And so you're you're basically getting yourself into a state of mindfulness and loving kindness and then tapping when you're in that state so that when you're out of that state, simply by tapping, you can access it more quickly. Uh, And that practice also involves uh, gratefulness, Uh, involves uh, sending beams of light and love out to the universe but then into your body you know into areas that might be tense or might you know that feel like they might need a little bit of extra self-love i really like that one and you can google it it's like a free mp3 you can download and it just works for me because it stacks all these things at once so that one's called eco meditation uh for a couple years i practiced tm uh after taking a tm course and it didn't quite have the time to do the full two by 10 to 20 minutes a day and almost felt as though I was frustrating myself by not doing it with the frequency with which it's actually recommended so I didn't stay on the the TM bandwagon although I occasionally still do that for example you know on a plane when I can't sleep but I want to still relax my mind and just go into a mantra and stay there for a while Uh, I when I wake in the morning um I typically will be in bed for about five minutes just doing deep breathing, giving myself that affluence of time before I leap out of bed. Then I read something typically devotional or scriptural, and then gratitude journal. You know, what am I grateful for today? What truth did I discover in today's reading? And who is one person who I can pray or help or serve this day? And for me, that breath work and gratitude practice when I first wake, it it has the flavor of meditation like it leaves me with that that same type of of feeling as though i've meditated um before every meal i typically do about five to ten deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth to activate the parasympathetic system in in almost a a brief mindfulness meditation snack and then and i realized that this is something that i think kind of a noise a lot of a lot of meditation devotees uh, I consider my exercise to be moving meditation yeah. like if you if you see me exercising there is never hard driving rock music in my in my headphones anything like you know occasionally an audiobook or a podcast but my workout sessions are very focused around breath they lead with prana so I'm always focusing on the breathing in through the nose. Uh, Usually out through slightly pursed lips, the same as when I'm walking. It's always moving meditation, typically with like a four count in, four count hold, four count out, four count hold. Or based on um, Patrick McCown's teachings in The Oxygen Advantage, uh, or Anders Olson's teachings in his book, I believe it's called The Power of Breath or The Power of Air or something like that, uh, 10 count in and a 20 count out right? So I'm retaining oxygen and carbon dioxide simultaneously. And when I walk like that for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or 60 minutes, especially in the sand, on the beach, on a forest trail, uh, to me, it's, I mean, it's it's almost better than seated meditation. Yeah, I just, I feel more grounded when I do that. Um, and, you know, in the, in the workout sessions, when the going gets hard and when you're getting up towards your VO2 max, you know, I will shift into breathing through the mouth, sucking air. <laughs> but then the trick is after that sets done, after that high-intensity interval bout is done, I'll then return back into that nasal breathing, uh, very similar to to the way that Paul Czech teaches. You know, for example, you know, you'll do a set of, of kettlebell swings, and that would be the working out and then you follow that up with the working in which would be very slow almost like tai chi-esque bodyweight squats where you're just in flow breathing through your nose focusing on reactivating the parasympathetic system uh and then one other kind of cool way to do that related to the ice and I, i do this with with some of the folks that i coach i call it the three by three uh they'll do three minutes of some kind of like high-intensity cardio, you know, like the Airdyne bike or, um, you know, treadmill, rowing machine, whatever. And following those three minutes, they will then get into the cold, deep nasal breathing, box breathing, activate the parasympathetic nervous system in the cold, and then out of the cold, you go back into the high-intensity interval training. So you're basically training sympathetic, parasympathetic, you know, returning to that idea of, being metabolically flexible, with substrate utilization, you're again, training yourself to be flexible with parasympathetic, sympathetic activation.
0: Yeah. So I think so many of the practices that we do can, there's so much minutiae in, in them oftentimes, and we can become consumed by the specific details. But I think in large part, the details are, are valuable, but then also in large part, one of the, the, the greatest values is just that we're starting to pay attention you know, so I, I found that with archery at this point, hunting soon, um, going to the archery range and paying attention first to the positioning of my feet. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. I'm like, grounded through my feet. Okay, cool. And then drop the shoulders in. Okay, and then pull the elbow back and retract the scapula. Yep. You know, and then from there, okay, cool. Now I got get to the, get the sight. Now I got to, okay, now breathe. I'm, oh, I forgot my breath. It's holding my breath. Okay, okay emphasize the breath out. Calm down. Okay. All right. That moment, it's really hard to be thinking about Bill's girlfriend, whatever the thing is. You can't. And and, and I'm I'm excited
1: for you, especially because I know you you have a a history of meditation and mindfulness and a great deal of body awareness. I'm excited to see how that manifests for you once you get out on your hunt coming up in Maui. And you need to activate all of that that you've made automatic when there's an actual animal in front of you. and. Uh, And it's all of a sudden there's an enormous responsibility, right? There's a life on the line. There's there's potential suffering for the animal on the line. There is from a deep primal standpoint, even though you probably have like a few canisters of protein powder at home and a few things you could you could survive on for a little longer, there's like that idea of, Oh, this is this is my food. Right? Yeah. Like I'm not gonna live to see another day unless I I put this animal down and, and bring something home, yeah. you know, to the to the tribe, to the village to cook. And and that sounds silly to a lot of people who say, Oh, you know, we don't have to hunt for food. There's grocery stores everywhere, but for some reason, at least I've experienced like that same primal mechanism kicks in to where you're like, this is it, do or die. Like yeah. I, I have to survive to live another day, so I need to put this meat in the freezer.
0: Yeah, we all have that in us. There's a, have you ever heard of a book called uh, Paradise Made in Hell? It's hmm. about uh, essentially that the the value of natural disasters or people going through like times of war, nine eleven, or these these seemingly terrible things they end up snapping us back into reality of like okay you're my brother homeless guy on the street or woman that i typically wouldn't talk to because she doesn't have enough instagram followers or like no we're in this together yeah you know yeah it's it's that that feeling of interdependence
1: that I, I, again, I, I realize I keep saying that, that people don't do enough of this and people don't do enough of that. But I I think that feeling of interdependence, whether it's volunteering in your community or or making yourself dependent on others by asking for help, is again something that that's oft neglected. I mean, I I had this wonderful wonderful feeling wash over me today. You know, I, I, I told you I stopped by the the coffee shop on the way up here to grab a smoothie and when i i rode uh my bike in and and docked at the coffee shop there's a man in a wheelchair trying to get across the street and i see him over there and we lock eyes and he asked me if i could help him across the street like he said can i have a push so i started pushing him Mm -hmm. and across the street so i'm I'm pushing this guy in a wheelchair and it you know it's, it's one of those uh you know Homeless guys in Venice Beach, and he looks like he's got all his world's belongings right there in the little, like the little, uh, uh, what do you call it? Almost like a, like a bicycle basket but for yeah. a wheelchair I don't know wheelchair basket wheelchair whatever basket. you carry your stuff around yeah. so I push I push him across the street and he's like can you push me up that hill because the street starts to go up so I keep pushing him up the hill and then there's, there's a full another block and at this point I'm getting nervous because my bike is parked out at the coffee shop my cell phone is just sitting in a basket in the back of the bike and so I push him for a good like six minutes all the way to the to the Santa Monica beach and then I, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like thank you and, and that feeling you know washed over me okay we're all interdependent humans and then i turned around just had to sprint you know back down to the coffee shop to make sure the bicycle was still there um but when you experience something like that and this is the same reason i do that gratitude practice in the morning of who is one person i can pray for or help or serve today you tap into that that primal sense of us all being on this planet as a tribe and interdependent on each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the same way that I think everyone should get sunlight or earthing or grounding or cold or, or heat or fresh air or or any of these natural practices on a daily basis. I think everyone on a daily basis should figure out some way to go out of their way and help someone or just be helped themselves, you know, be interdependent and express that vulnerability to others.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's uh, I was listening to s- recordings, old recordings of Terrence McKenna, and one of the things that he said that that stood out was that culture is the the main, uh, the biggest separation between your own enlightenment, uh, education, and decency. You know, so when we mm-hmm. become, we have nationalism and the belief that our country is better than your country, my color is better than your color. You know, mm-hmm. essentially, what that does is, is it just puts you into this isolation, but being able to break outside of that I think that's where like all like the the juice is at.
1: Yeah, and and related to that, you know, CS Lewis and and I'll I'll completely bastardize this quote, but essentially he he says in one of his books that we are all we're all spirits, we're all souls, right? Like at our core and You know, I really get this when when I gaze into someone's eyes—the windows to the soul. Like you make that connection, and you realize, this is a spirit. This is a soul. This is more than a chunk of flesh and blood that I'm talking to. Uh, It's something that that's far deeper. Something that's that's even eternal, right? That spark of light inside of us that that is our ethereal being. And what C.S. Lewis says is that we're all spirits or souls, and every single person is capable of being a a horrible monster or or a god or goddess walking upon this planet like each one of us has that capability for our soul to go one way or the other and so it, it's it's one of those situations in which you you almost need to be cautious careful that you not only care for your soul but you realize that you have you know potential to do great harm or potential to do very very great good
0: yeah i think people carry i carry almost like a certain contraction or fear around the demon inside of me or like the evil inside of me or the potential to, you know, right. I hear things of, of, of like some serial killer or some rapist or some Hitler or whatever. Um, I, for that to exist in humanity, my belief is that that exists inside of me and it exists inside Mm -hmm. of you. And we push that down and kind of pretend that those things don't exist. And we shame ourselves for having genitals and shame. Like we kind of put certain things in a box, you know, and then certain other things are are acceptable. Yep. Um, But I wonder if there's something to loving all of that. Yeah, I mean it's uh and
1: for me coming from a Christian background, I think this is this is something Paul says in the Bible you know, about, you know, all of all of that evil and the people walking around who have twisted their soul or their spirit into becoming a monster and you know, he basically says something like, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's like you know, we we all have that potential, and we should never never take for granted the fact that uh, you know we could we could easily stray into that same kind of Hitler esque moment unless yeah. we're constantly careful, constantly watching ourselves, because that is kind of our our bent in a way.
0: Yeah, my feeling is Hitler didn't want to be the Hitler that we know today when he was like six and playing baseball. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 And
1: it's uh, a a big part of that is we tend to err towards what is societally acceptable. And you know, as happened in in Germany, you know, if everybody else is doing it and it turns into the social norm, it becomes that much easier. For us to do it, yeah. you know, to, to stray from that sense of what I really think is, is almost like that inherent built-in sense of what is right and wrong and that internal moral compass that I do think we have to instead kind of kind of go almost more towards this Epicurean approach of like, well... You know, there is no sense of universal morality. It's just like, this is what gives me pleasure and this is what gives me pain. And yeah. you know, if, if everybody's getting pleasure from this certain, you know, activity, then, you know, it must be right. It must be okay or justifiable.
0: Yeah, there's a, a guy, James Prescott, that I mentioned in my the, the book that I, I, I recently finished mm-hmm. up and in. His, uh, gets into war and societies and the amount of touch that they had growing up. And mm-hmm. so there's, he said with, with 80% accuracy, he was able to, to connect uh, how much war there would be within that society just based off of, of the amount of contact they had from their mother. and Skin-to-skin contact, you yeah, mean? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, other, there's, there's other, you know, kind of completely other side of the spectrum mm-hmm. um, research around the amount of contact in NBA uh, teams in preseason. The teams that have the greatest contact, butt slaps, nice yeah. work, fucking chest bumps. Yeah. Like, yeah, heck, yeah, man, yeah. we're together. Yeah. That cohesion and that attunement yeah. manifests itself into more victories. So, uh, A, we should probably hold hands for the rest of this podcast. Yeah, that's what they sure do in, a, in yeah.
1: all over the place. Southeast and then, Asia. Um, it's normal. And then probably uh, get oxytocin in the drinking water. You know, replace fluoride with oxytocin and... The world will be a happier exactly. place. just yeah. <laughs> biohack to touch. Yeah, I actually do. I, I do <laughs> use. Uh, I use intranasal oxytocin sometimes. It is, it is a pretty amazing substance. It's the trust hormone. You know that same that's released during breastfeeding or, or sex or, or hugging. And uh, the problem with it, of course, is you actually wouldn't want a lot of that in your system if you were going to go negotiate to purchase a used car or something like that. Just because you, you become so, so trusting, so yeah. loving,
0: yeah. So, so so vulnerable. So So all the conversations of, you know, it's really helpful to love each other and connect and touch and, you know, not be selfish and all that stuff. Why do you think it is that humanity typically, at least like Western post agriculture, humanity tends to veer towards um, autonomy and disconnection and my own and my bank account and all those things that. The studies say that when you give somebody a dollar, it feels better than getting a dollar. But nonetheless, like this seems like the tendency is to go the other direction. Yeah,
1: the 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 independence uh, at the cost of interdependence. I don't know, but I suspect part of it is due to uh, the idea that we can take a great amount of pride in being self-made humans. You know, self-made men, self-made women we live in an era where, you know, you're taught from an early age that you can be whatever you want to be. And that through almost, you know, like this puritanical hard work mentality that you can, you can go it alone and be a lone wolf and still experience or or possibly experience a, a, a greater amount of success. You know, like you've, you've made it, you've, um, You've become, you know, whatever a, a lone wolf warrior. For me, being homeschooled K through 12 and and very self dependent, you know, I think I err towards that uh, even more than a lot of people, just because I had to be completely independent all through education and, and very self reliant. And so, uh, I actually uh, I I enjoy the solitude, working alone, the silence, being solo, being a lone wolf. And it's really only in the past several years and increasingly, you know, as, as my boys grow older and as I grow more connected to my family that I realize the importance of this interdependence and the idea that, that independence, lone wolf success, uh, despite often being a good way to make it in the world and to, you know, whatever, make a lot of money or be hyper productive, does not bring happiness. Not yeah. as much
0: as, as being with people and being dependent on others. Yeah, I th- it feels to me like the greatest currency any of us can possibly have, the only currency that's not going to go away, is connections and relationships and doing good by others.
1: Yeah, it's it's the, it's the greatest emotion. Love is. I mean, if, if you, and I tell my children this, if you ever do not know what to do in any situation, whether an interpersonal conflict or an argument or... Not knowing what to say to someone in a specific situation, Uh, you cover everything with love. Something as simple as, I love you, or figuring out a way you can care for someone, Uh, just anything like that. I mean, I've even had some conflicts with my wife before. We've gotten in arguments and we've had disagreements. And, you know, the the only thing that seems to be able to just smooth things over at the time is to just like, you know, huge hug. This isn't worth it. I love you. You know, mm-hmm. man, and all of a sudden love just like freaking melts away, you know, all the pain and mm-hmm. all the conflict. And it's it's that simple. But that sometimes takes it takes disillusion of the ego, right? It takes humbleness. It it takes, you know, deciding that it's it's more worth it to simply say, I love you and to hug someone rather than to keep on figuring out a way to win the argument or to prove that you're right.
0: Yeah. What do you think that has been most pivotal for you to start to recognize that?
1: When it comes to love, for me, it's been my family, the realization that they're the most important thing to me. And uh, it's impossible for me to stay close and connected to my family without the Greenfield home being absolutely filled with love, uh, eye gazing, snuggling, sexual connection with my wife, uh, you know, dates and time, mindful, devoted, focused time with my children. Uh, the amount of, of happiness and fulfillment that that brings, that, that pouring that amount of love into my home brings, that's where it started for me. And then from there, realizing that that same type of familial love that you give to you know your wife or your spouse or your children is the same type of love that you can take out into the world, into your career, right? And And I don't think I have even come close to bringing to the world from stage on my podcast in my writings in my interaction with people i haven't come close to expressing the same amount of love in those scenarios as i do in the greenfield home you know when i'm just there with my wife and my boys and i'm currently on you know almost like a quest to To take that same love that I've experienced with my family and bring that forth into the rest of the world. But for me, it had to start at home with my wife and with my boys, you know, the deep realization that it's love and connection with the family that kind of equips me and empowers me to go forth and bring that same love to the rest of the world. Because my my MO for the longest time was like, you know, you have your family time, then you go out in the world, and then you're that lone, independent wolf, you know, who's, you know, all about business and, 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 you know, and and very didactic, you know, education, teaching others about fitness and health and nutrition, but with nowhere near the amount of love that's expressed on, like, with the family, you know, on the home front. And, I recently read a book, I believe it was called The Second Mountain, or something like that. But it's about how we spend much of our lives climbing this first mountain, career, success, finances, like making it almost from from like a business standpoint, and we reach the top of that first mountain in a very independent way. And when we get to the top of that first mountain, uh, sometimes cancer or, or sickness or conflict or bankruptcy or something can throw us down from the top of that first mountain down into a valley. And that's sometimes what happens is is we're down there in the valley. Sometimes we're just still at the top of the first mountain. And we get that realization that there's not as much fulfillment and happiness that we've gotten by climbing to the top of that first mountain as we anticipated or expected when we were climbing it. Yeah. And at that point, we realize there's a second mountain. And that second mountain is a mountain where the, the, the top of it is is where true fulfillment lies. It is a mountain that we climb with others. It's a mountain where we discover interdependence and community and family and you know some of those things we were talking about earlier, right? That that deep human primal urge for connection and relationships. And that second mountain might be something completely different, you know, like founding a charitable organization or taking your time that you spent on the business and focusing instead on music or art that touches other people's hearts or building a community or, you know, getting to know your neighbors better or whatever the case may be, but it's that second mountain that's the most important mountain. And I, I feel like, you know, for me, I'm kind of like, you know, 1 20th of the way up that second mountain after climbing that first mountain and realizing that there's a lot freaking more to life than you know what you experience at the top of that first mountain
0: yeah i feel like one of my biggest fears would be that i would die leave this body before reaching the false summit of the first mountain Mm -hmm. and at that point you essentially missed out on life yeah yeah (laughs) you you did and you know
1: i guess you know the 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 thing is it's not like the first mountain is bad Mm -mm. the first mountain is a lesson it's maslow's hierarchy yeah it's a lesson right you have to get shelter and food and currency and and to a certain extent the ability to be able to get by and survive before you're almost like fully equipped to climb that second mountain uh, I, I think that some people kind of climb the first and the second mountain at the same time, you know, develop a business that's just extremely others facing and is doing a great deal of good in the world. And um, I, I think that that's a very fortunate place to be in. But I don't think people should beat themselves up for trying to make a career and get some money in their bank account and and figure out a way to become somewhat financially independent before turning around and, you know, and, and saying, okay, what's next? What's greater than this? Now that I'm, now that I'm set, now that I'm, I've put on my own oxygen mask, how can I then go forth and help others? Yeah. So I don't think there's shame in that first mountain. I just, uh, you know, think that you, you definitely shouldn't fool yourself into thinking that that's, that's the end all.
0: Yeah. Do you think perhaps isolating those two mountains, and I'm sure there's lots more mountains beyond that, um, into their own separate buckets do you think that is a western culture again post agricultural age technological age like going into that like okay in a more natural in quotations whatever the heck that means hunter-gatherer tribal whatever society do you think that those buckets would naturally more converge it's possible that mountains might
1: not be the best analogy um you know perhaps a better analogy would be chapters in a book right yeah. you chap, chapter 1 you're you're getting to know some of the characters and and laying down the background scene and you know in the the ordinary world and in chapters you know 3 and 4 and 5 maybe there's a there's a realization that there's more to life than this and there's that resistance to the call if we're looking at the book as the classic hero's journey and then yeah. eventually a crossing of the threshold towards something greater and when you're progressing and progressing and progressing and you're never reading a book like that you know whether you know any any classic hero's journey the, the wizard of oz or the disney movie frozen or you know or, or you know the story of of you know rocky balboa or you know any of these hero's journeys you're never following a book or a storyline like that and thinking that what you've just read, the chapter that you're in, the chapters that came before, sucked, right? They were just all part of the hero's journey. They were all crucial in leading up to the ultimate climax, the you know the battle, the fight for the elixir, the return with the elixir, and the eventual you know happy ever after story, you know, at the very end of the book, but you know, if you look at it as kind of a chapter by chapter type of deal, you know, there's, there's no regrets about the chapters that came before. There's just the realization that, you know, if, if you truly want to live out the full hero's journey, you need to have your eyes set on continuing chapter by chapter towards the resolution of the book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Joe Campbell's stuff, the same, one of the steps is that is the process of detribalization, which is the exact same thing that Terrence was saying and lots of other people say like that's a a crucial part in Mm -hmm. stepping outside i wonder with raising kids do you have any have you noticed the first instance of shame pop up with with your kids like you know pre when i am my mother and i am you know theory of mind all that and the separation happened i think it'd be hard to be ashamed of anything but then there's a moment where like oh my penis isn't big enough or my anus looks weird or i'm my not tall enough, or too short, or whatever. I can't say I have. Cool. Um, you know,
1: our our house is. Well, from, from a shame standpoint, it's, it's pretty hippy dippy. No, nobody's got their clothes on, you know, the mailman always has to knock on the door. Like we're just, you know, the Greenfield boys just walk around naked and my, and my boys see me doing so many weird things, you know, whatever, with all the biohacks and infrared light panels. And, you know, they'll come in to brush their teeth while dad's laying on the floor of the bathroom doing a coffee edema. Like we're just, we're, there's, there's, there's not a lot of, of, I guess, uh, potential for shame in the Greenfield house. And so, no, I haven't seen that yet. Um, But one practice that I think has been really beneficial for connectedness, not just with my wife and I, um, but also with my children and I, has been that eye gazing that I talked about earlier, Mm. right? Just, you know, when when I can take River or I can take Taryn and embrace them, you know, as usually, usually this is as we're about to go to sleep, like before bed when I'm in there, I've read them a story or played them the guitar or the ukulele and... This is a practice that I've only adopted for the past year, but you look at your child in the eyes, and it's one of those zero judgment zones, and sometimes I'll just be like, sorry to freak you out here, but I'll just be like going going like this, just like caressing their hair, looking deep into their eyes, and they'll reach up and start to caress my hair, Mm. and you're just making this deep soul connection. And for me, it's like I see a different part of my child every time. Like the the shape of their nose has changed, or the the turn of their lips. Or I'll see, you know, uh, you know, a little a, a glimpse of of you know the shape of my wife's eyes and their eyes. Or you know, sometimes I'll look at their fingers and think about how their hands kind of look like my hands looked when when I was 11 years old. And I, I think that that's a big part of it too. Is when you have that kind of a deep connection every day with with your parent or with your child, I think it's harder to feel that shame because there's just that deep, vulnerable, open acceptance yep. when you're right there looking into each other's eyes. You know, the same could be said for sex. Um, I think one of the most powerful things that my wife and I have adopted as part of our sexual relationship is that same type of eye-gazing, that deep spiritual connection that... Uh, foregoing of almost like the mutual masturbation that I think a lot of a lot of sex really is for a lot of people I mean you rub, you're rubbing your genitals together until something explodes or something cool happens and and that's sex right and then you you know you roll over and, and go to sleep or you know whatever the case may be and I, I think that you know that that deep acceptance during sex as well that deep spiritual connection is also very important you know with, with your lover
0: yeah so. It's, it's interesting with you, it seems almost like you're you know like you're the father and you're taking care of your kids, but it almost feels as though your kids are you could look at it from another lens and see that they're here for you, yeah
1: yeah um i mean that's really it's 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 a it's a great and powerful responsibility you know bringing another human being into the world, but it really is you know just just from almost like a selfish standpoint one of the best things you can do for yourself i mean not 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 only spiritually you know that that feeling of responsibility and that that you know interdependence that arises when when you have a child uh their interdependence on you your interdependence on them but just from a pure logistical standpoint i mean it was when i had kids that i established a trust right began to build a legacy began to think more about the future about you know my home my castle you know where where our roots were going to be where we're going to live you know the connections to family the living will the testament you know all these things you know family traditions well shit what what is our family tradition for christmas what is our family tradition for thanksgiving like how are we going to you know, begin to build this this Greenfield name, Greenfield traditions, Greenfield family that will hopefully go on to for generations and generations be able to help the world. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's it reminds me of this quote that I, I heard a couple of weeks ago that just really struck me, it gave me pause. Uh, it was this, you're, you're not raising your children, you're raising your grandchildren. when you think about everything that you do with your kids, you know, whether or not you have your phone out at the dinner table or when you're out on a date with your, with your children or, um, you know do you have story time at night do you do you play music at night do you have a a gratitude practice in the morning do you have a specific tradition on on Christmas or on Thanksgiving do you have a time of the month when you might you know go and deliver meals on wheels or help someone or you know bring a bottle of wine up to the neighbors you know these are the things that your children are going to be teaching to their grandchildren right and if your family practice is watching Netflix while everyone's got a tray you know and eating dinner you know in front of the tv and everyone's got their phone out you know when, when you're at the restaurant and um you know christmas arrives and you just kind of you know casually figure out if you're gonna go here or you're gonna go there like there's no real tradition on, on christmas eve or you know there's everybody just kind of like hits the sack at the end of the night and there's no end cap on the day of gratitude or storytelling or music or anything like that That's exactly what your kids are going to do with their kids and their kids with their kids. So what you do now with your children sets up uh, just a, a generational butterfly effect for what's going to happen on down the line. And that's a great and powerful responsibility, realizing you're not changing you know it's hard on a thursday night you know when dinner rolls around to be thinking about that you know take out the gratitude journals and have a moment of parasympathetic silence over the food and have a wonderful chat at dinner and push the chairs away and you know everybody cleans up the kitchen together and you go upstairs and maybe have a little story time play some music do the eye gazing and the snuggling you know all of that gets instilled into your children and and carries on into the future generation so it's a great and powerful responsibility to be able to build that uh and and you know it stacks you know just that simple practice one night of the week and the next night of the week you know it it, it, it's going to streamline down to future generations
0: yeah i think if it's like you can't um, at some point you have to pay the responsibilities like you have to invest and do the thing and you can temporarily push things off and kind of spend on credit um, but at some point you're just squishing the toothpaste around all of a sudden you have this backfill on the other end yep. and you'll have to pay bigger at some point you know yep. so i think like the way that we started the conversation is how can we effectively integrate all of these health inducing variables so that i just have this well-being sandwich that i'm moving through the world with yep. you know i think that that's like the more that we can do that, the happier life that we will have in the future and the, and the less likely we are to have you know, lots of lots of debt.
1: Yeah. The other thing I would encourage to people who are listening is if you have a, a, an exercise habit. Or you have a meditation habit or a breathwork habit or or a cold pool habit or or a sauna habit or any of these things that you kind of use to keep you sane during the day to, you know, to tweak your biology to maintain your health. I was once reading in in a magazine, it was a triathlon magazine about being an invisible exerciser, right? Like you get up at 4am, you just get all this shit done so that you can, you know, be present for your family later on in the day. But I kind of think it's the opposite. I think as much as you can include, if you have children, your children in those type of habits, you know, like, and I do this with my kids sometimes. So I'm gonna go to a 30 minute sauna session. They'll come in for the first five or 10 minutes, right? Sit, meditate, All right guys you're good you know go go do your thing or i'll go jump in the cold pool and they'll come in and jump in with me and they might you know stay in a minute and i'm swimming around in there for five minutes but just these brief exposures for your offspring to be able to get a flavor of these habits that you're using to make your lives better your life better that keeps them from whatever you know turning 18 going to college gaining weight on beer and pizza, having no clue how to be mindful or meditate, starting their job, climbing that first mountain, rinsing, washing, repeating, and re-experiencing the the errors that you might have gone through. And then, you know, when they're 35, they discover intermittent fasting and meditation and sauna and breath work and cold. But returning to that, you're raising your your grandchildren, not your children. They might not teach that to their kids because you didn't teach it to them. Yeah. So, so the more you can expose your kids to this kind of stuff, like early on in life, the better.
0: Yeah, we'll wrap we'll wrap this up. I, I um, One thing that's just popping up is that there's a guy called Albert Morabian came up with this thing called the 55-38-7 principle. He's a UCLA professor. and uh, Essentially what it was is that 55% of our communication was based off of body language. We, we move, and then 38 was tonality, and then 7% was the actual words that we're saying. That's based if there is some type of... Um, incongruency there um you know so if i say something when my body says something else 93 percent of the time you are like no i don't think that's that's right yeah. And yeah i think it's the same thing with when you're spending time with your family or any relationship like your kids my sense is they probably don't give that many shits what you say mm-hmm. you know it's more like actually being with you, you oh know? yeah and what's your level of compassion and empathy and listening and what do you actually do and then the other thing that 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 pops up is um I think it's really valuable to have momentum momentum going into a connection with somebody. So you can't just be a jerk off for the whole day and eating the wrong food and thinking about the wrong things and looking at the wrong things. And, you know, and then all of a sudden show up, okay, it's family time. Yep. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Your kids are sensitive, sensitive beings and they're picking up on you from before right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The, the power of demonstration and practicing what you preach, especially when it comes to parenting, cannot be undervalued. I mean, and, and I parent with this love and logic philosophy where you don't tell your kids what to do. You educate them on the consequences of their decisions and then let them make the decision. Uh, and you must in order for that type of parenting to be successful demonstrate in your day-to-day habits what the right decisions actually are right so it's never like you know whatever river taryn go take your vitamin d supplement right it's like dad just gets up in the morning i take my vitamin d and usually i'd do it when they're sitting there at the breakfast nuke table and they can see me doing what i'm doing yeah right. And the same can be said for, for eating habits, right? Like if you tell them that gluten is bad for them, but then the whole family goes out to the steakhouse and you're punishing, you know, four slices of that sourdough bread they bring out, then, you know, that, that sends a message to your kids. So that's again, having children um, really makes you, you step up your game big time. Cool, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate our
0: conversations. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. It's always good to do the breathwork and the ice beforehand. It puts you in a good place. So. It's the best, yeah. yeah. And then uh, for folks listening, we'll have the the video of breathwork, ice, and maybe we'll put some kind of like tutorial instructional thing on yeah. how to we'll, make that shit happen. We'll, we'll Photoshop away all the shrinkage that occurs in the ice bath. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. That was my first yeah. nude uh, Ice bath pre podcast. Yeah. yeah, you stepped we'll blur. up blur game. Blur as much as possible.
1: Now, as as we as we were talking about earlier, I think before we started recording, you'll need to blur at least down to my
0: kneecaps. That's right. I'm sure. No, that's right. Yeah, there's a lot of blurring. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be yeah. big yeah, yeah, it's gonna be expensive. It's gonna be very yeah. expensive. Yeah. Um, where should people go from here? Where's the best direction? Uh, got a
1: new book, um, BoundlessBooks.com, and uh, I've been working on that thing for like three years. Uh, it's finally out. It's ready, and it's just like a massive tome for all things body, mind, spirit optimization. So, um, a lot in there, and I'm super proud of it. And I, I guess that'd be my only ask
0: is people go check out the book. Right. So, yeah, cool. Um, do you think I can cut this part out? Do you think this is going to be a co-released thing, or do you think it's of, of relevance for me to mention my, my shit.
1: Yeah. So I will probably publish this on my show. Okay. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd love for people who aren't familiar with you, if you could maybe mention uh – uh not maybe, do, mention whatever, <laughs> your Instagram handle, your website. You have a new book, so, so tell, book tell people
0: about Aaron Alexander and where they can get more of you. Yeah, um, so have uh, The Align Method is coming out uh, December 24th, and so I don't know when we're going to publish this exactly. The Align Method is the book. That's the book, yep. yeah, yep. yeah, it's coming up. So that's been, I, I uh, co-wrote that with Phil White, who he's done stuff with uh, Kelly Starrett and Andy Galpin and Brian McKenzie and Leonard Hamilton and all sorts awesome. of great folks. Um, each chapter I had reviewed from the world leading expert on whatever the thing is, breaking down uh, the way that sight affects your physiology and sound and, uh, body language and touch and all the things that we kind of briefly touched on this conversation. Uh, so that's at, at the alignbook.com is the presale and then cool. Instagram handle is alignpodcast, podcast. And this will go up on the align podcast as well. Yeah.
1: The alignbook.com And I did thumb through it, you guys. And it's, uh, it's, it's good. Photos exercises, practical shit, which I like. It's all practical yeah. shit. Essentially it's yeah.
0: it's written for a like the Instagram Instagram age. You know, so it's it's written in like breaths. So you can take information in and then you can kind of there's a moment, and then you can go to the next heading and there's like humor and philosophy and mechanics. Did you get like butt implants or calf implants since it's Not on Instagram age. Not on this one. No. But yeah, I think on the next one, I'll probably have to step up my game. Just go full on Kardashian? Yeah. Good man. I think I'm ready. All right. Cool. cool. Thanks, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. That was
1: great. Yeah.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I want to present y'all with a fun opportunity of starting a program that I created called the Align Method Online Program that focuses on unwinding the unsightly patterns of staring into technology, essentially. So, forward head posture, rolled forward shoulders, hyperkyphotic spine, disengaged glutes, knees collapsing in. If there's collapse in any level in the body, it will trickle up and down through the rest of the system, that program focuses on unwinding those things, giving you self-care practices, movement practices, and lifestyle adjustments, very subtle ones that will give y'all more flexibility, more strength, more confidence, more energy, all the good things. Um, and you can start the first week absolutely free and just go to alignpodcast.com slash method, A-L-I-G-N method. Along with that guy, you will receive the Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band with a door anchor. And that also comes with its own online program that is free with that thing. Go to AlignBand.com and start that program for free. Um, I think that's it. I so greatly appreciate you guys listening to this conversation. So greatly appreciate reviews on iTunes, sharing uh, on the Instagrams or the Facebooks or wherever you do your shares Uh, this program goes on, lives on because of y'all. So, um, it doesn't go unnoticed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reviews. Thanks for joining your life. Enjoy.